As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. How are we doing this morning? Good to see everybody. I want to welcome all those online. Let me start with this. I was reading this study and I found it fascinating. Pew Research, they studied 17 of what they call, we would say wealthiest, but they would say the most advanced economies. And so 17 of the most economies, greatest economies, and they asked, well, ours isn't doing that great right now. Sorry about that. But what they did is they asked this simple question. They said, what is the most meaningful in your life? What, is, what brings meaning to your life? And they asked these of all these people in these countries. And so this is the results. I I know this is kind of hard to see, but let me walk through this with you. So the first choice from 17, 14 out of 17 countries, they said family. And so I'm going to agree that's that's a good choice. It's family and relationships and investments and all those kinds of things. Now, the U.S. said family as well. I found this interesting. The second most highest when they said, what is the, brings most meaning to your life, people said occupation. So nine countries said occupation. Interestingly, the US said friends, and the UK said friends. And so that was kind of interesting, because I thought occupation would be higher for us in what people are doing and what they want to do, that that brings the most meaning to their life. And I don't know, I was born at the tail end of the baby boomers, so I think that's why I think like that. But then the third choice of what brings the most meaning to your life, you can see it's a little bit scattered with some of the countries. Australia, New Zealand, Sweden, they said friends. And Singapore, they said society. Some of them said health. France and Greece and Germany and the Netherlands. And so health is very popular But then, look, this is where the United States said material well-being, along with Italy and Canada. And then fourth, Australia, New Zealand, Sweden, they said material well-being. So that was kind of a lot there. And you can see health scattered in. And then the United States, as they surveyed these people, they said occupation came forth. But what's missing? Do, Do you see it? I mean, I kind of highlighted it here. It's the only one on the board. It's what brings the most meaning to your life. Well, well, faith and God and and the United States. I mean, let's give ourselves a hand for one thing. Come on, the one thing in today that that we said that that faith was at least on the board. Now, it's number five, but that's because 15% of the people that they surveyed, they included it on their list. And of those 15%, Virtually, nearly all of them regularly went to church, which is kind of interesting. And then only 5% of every other country, 5% of the people surveyed said faith, so that's why it didn't make the board at all. And so think about that with me for a moment. Thinking worldwide, if you're a worldwide traveler and you're in some airport somewhere in a different country, and out of 100 people that you see worldwide, that what, that, that this tells me that only five people would answer the question, what's most meaningful in my life? And they would say faith. We're here in this country. If you just walk out of here for a moment and just 
go over to the health club, you go over to where? Maybe over to get something to eat. And, and what do you see? 15 out of 100 people would say faith brings the most meaning to their life. Set all that to simply say this, what say you? What do you say and how would you respond in regards to a survey like this if you were asked what brings the most meaning to my life? And just to be honest and to be candid about what is it and how would you rank and what would you say? Or maybe think of it like this, what am I living for? Is that's the title of our message. And we're in a series, if you're visiting with us, those online and those here, we want to welcome you. We're in a series called Recalibrated Reliance. And we're talking about recalibrating our hearts to God and his word. So I think we're right on topic. And what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 6 is he gives us four characteristics of people who are living their lives for God. And so all I want to do today is I want to present those four characteristics to you for you to do an internal audit. I don't want you to be doing an audit on the person you came with, although they're probably doing one on you. I don't want you to do an audit on somebody in your family. I want you to just think about what is Jesus saying to me about what's most important. Because he loves you. And he desires the best for you. And he wants the best for you. And I think that we're going to see that faith is it's going to be a little higher. So let me read from Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, that's great. Go ahead and grab it and open it up. If not, I'm going to put the verses up on the screen. Um, you can go to a Bible app and get it up on your phone. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy and where thieves will break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust or anything will destroy. Thieves will not break in and steal them. And then here's a verse that's it's popular for those who've been in church. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye, it's like a lamp to the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, Jesus says. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And then he ends with this. No one can serve two masters. For either will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Father, thank you for this passage of scripture. And Jesus, I thank you that it's, it's from your heart to our hearts that, that, Lord, would you just help us to figure out in the midst of this world, in the midst of the things that we go through, and with the responsibilities, the expectations, and the worldview that, that we see and that's happening. Like, Lord, just give us guidance today. And I pray for every single person that's listening, whether they're here in person or watching online, that, that you would give us guidance and direction as we desire to please you and desire to live our lives for you. If you agree with that prayer, simply say amen. First characteristic of people who are doing what? Choosing to live for God. Well, they value something. They have a value on the eternal investment over the temporal gain. So think with me for a moment. Eternal, I'm not talking about what? I'm talking about the long game. I'm not talking about the short-term game. I'm not saying what you see in front of you right now is the most valuable thing. It's like step back for a moment and see the long-term gain of what we're to invest in. And so Jesus says it best. He says, hey, don't lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. So, so why does he say it? Everybody up for a little fun in church? 
Thank you for the few of you. Let me give you this picture. This is why. Because what? If, if this sweater, I mean, if the moths, are, they make it holy, I mean, I mean nobody's going to wear this. I mean, it's, it's no good that, that treasures in heaven are like a sweater that is destroyed by the moths. Or how about this one? That's a nice car, isn't it? That's been through quite a few Chicago winters, hasn't it? I actually took this picture on the way in, one of your cars. I'm kidding. I, but, but seriously, I mean, I mean, that's what Russ does. And, and like, I'm not driving that car. That it, It's falling apart, man. I, that's what treasures in heaven look like with an eternal perspective. And then lastly, it's like, hey, man, how about coming home to this if this was your apartment? And I'll, you know, it's just like, and if you've ever been robbed, I'm telling you, it's the worst thing because you just feel so violated. And you're just like, man, I, and it's almost like I, I don't even want to be here anymore. Are they going to come back? And so Jesus is telling us that treasures on earth are like moth. They're like rust. They're like being robbed and stolen from. And so that's why we don't want to lay up all our treasures in, in material things and in the thinking of this world. I, there's something more. There's something eternal. And there's something more satisfying. And so I would say it like this. Let me choose these words. Treasures on earth, they're faltering, they're failing, they're fleeting. Meaning that they're just not going to last. I mean, it's the up and down. And, and treasures in heaven, well, these are the ones that are permanent. These are the ones that are prevailing. These are the ones that are perpetual. I mean, there's a long-term relaying gain, a long-term investment. That, man, what's going on in my life? And there's got to be more to life. There's got to be purpose in life than just what I see in the here and now. And, and so you say, well, what exactly would the treasures in heaven be, Ron? Can you just kind of expound on that a little bit? Like what treasures, it, be real specific. If, if I'm going to go for it, man, okay, I came to church today and I want to go for it. I'm going to try to start investing some more in the eternal and not to tell me, what exactly are you asking of me? Thank you for asking that question. Jesus answers it. And what I love about this passage and it's in the context of Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. And I don't know, I grew up going to church for a long time and, and they used to bring the Bible in and, and it would, they'd bring it in like this and, and, and it's almost like they worshiped the Bible, but, but I didn't really know what it said and I never really applied it to my life. And so what Jesus is doing here is this teaching is very applicable. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And this sermon, he gives us like the things that we need to do to invest in eternity. And so it's fascinating. So let me run through a few of them. It's just like if we read this, this, this sermon that Jesus gave from the Bible in Matthew. He says this. Let me give you a few of them. Humility and purity are treasure in heaven. So if you're going to be a humble person, if you want to live a pure life, that's why it says in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hey, you know what a treasure in heaven is? A treasure in heaven is that you just don't look with a perspective that only sees temporal. That you see God in situations. That you believe in him. That you see him in nature. That you see him in our being. That we're created in his image. Isn't that true? Amen. We're created in the image of God. And next he says that hungering and thirsting for, for righteousness are treasures in heaven. That, man, I want what God wants. I just don't want what I want. I, I guess sometimes I got to just, I got to put what I want off to the side because there's a greater purpose for me in this life. 
The scripture says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. See, the scripture says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it says that God has put eternity in our hearts. Think about that for a moment. Well, what does he mean, eternity? There's something inside of each one of us. And some would say it's a God-shaped hole. And that God-shaped hole, it's like, it's like we can do all kinds of other things and, and we can try to fill it for ourselves, but we're never gonna do it. Relationships aren't gonna do it. Stuff ain't gonna do it. How many people give me a hand raise and say stuff ain't doing it? It's, that, it's burning. And, and so there's nothing, it's because he's put eternity in our hearts that, that he's the only one. I mean, I didn't come to realize that until I was 27 years old, that what, that, that man, God was gonna fill that void in my life, not what I did, but who I became. And that's what he wants for us, that, that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. And let me give you some more. We've got a lot here that showing mercy is a treasure in heaven. What's showing mercy? It's giving somebody what they don't deserve. That's God's economy, man. It rocks our economy. It's different. It's totally different. It's not my first reaction. It's not my first desire. Hey, you hurt me. Guess what? I'm hurting you. No, no, we're to show mercy. Why? Because blessed are the merciful because they shall reserve, receive mercy. See, if you ain't merciful, then don't be thinking you're going to get it back from God. Blessed are what? The, the next one, the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So are you a peacemaker or are you a person that likes to stir the pot? Whether it's in your own home, whether it's in your own circle of relationships and friendships. Hey man, come on. We all need to be the middle kid sometimes. Do you know what I mean by that? I got a middle kid. I got three girls and the middle one, the middle ones are the peacemakers. Any middle peacemakers, give me a hand raise. Come on, it is. It's true. It's like they try to, you're, both of you guys are peacemakers. That's good. No conflict in this home but blessed are the peacemakers. And then he goes on to say this, Jesus says, enduring persecution is a treasure in heaven. So the people that suffer, and my heart breaks for those who are being persecuted as a result of their belief in God. And we're living in a day and age where it's happening, maybe not in this country, but in the world, that, that people are dying for their faith. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for the righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Man, they, they have an eternal perspective. I'll give you some more. There's a lot here in this, in this sermon that Jesus gives. Obeying God's commands a treasure in heaven. Again, that I would do what he wants and not what I want. And we're living in a day and age right now where God's commands are, are oftentimes neglected and, and we need to seek his desire and his truth. And so what else? We've got resisting unrighteous anger is a treasure in heaven. So what's unrighteous anger? Well, easier by saying what is righteous anger? I know what unrighteous anger is. I mean, the blood begins to boil and the emotion starts to pop. And I mean, I'm an Italian, so I'm either, I'm either screaming or crying. That's it. There's no in between. And unrighteous anger is not healthy. That, that righteous anger is, is being angry about what God's angry about. Like what, he, what, what angers him should anger me, not anything else. And how about this? How about keeping your word as a treasure in heaven? I feel like my dad wrote this. How many have dads like that? It's like, I'm telling you, it's like, I mean, your word is the most important thing you have. Well, if you keep your word and keep your commitments, hey, you ain't quitting that soccer team because you signed up for it and you're doing the whole year. Keep keeping your word. Next, turning the other cheek is a treasure in heaven. Man, not to say that you're going to let people beat up on you, 
But again, are you a peacemaker? And again, do you, is that a hill that's really worth dying on? That Jesus says it's so best. He says, don't resist the one who's evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. Come on, man. Ain't know what to fight for and what not to fight for. How about this? That providing for the physical needs of others, treasures in heaven. We're talking, let's not lose sight. I know this is a long list. It's like, it's like there's a lot to do with how do we, how do we go for the eternal perspective? Let me give you a few more. That's uh, going to the extra mile. It's a treasure in heaven. Jesus said, hey, if anyone forces you to go one mile, then go two with them. I mean, do the extra thing and loving and praying for your enemies are treasures in heaven. Next, Matthew chapter six, giving to those in need discreetly is a treasure in heaven. Not so everybody sees it, but that what? That that's part of who I am is that I just want to help people out and, and I'm willing to stop and, and do some things. Treasures in heaven, forgiving others is a treasure in heaven. Forgiveness is such a key that, why? Because God has forgiven us and he expects us to forgive others. But if you've been doing life long enough, people are going to hurt you. And so that power to forgive is only available in Christ. That it's supernatural. We can't forgive apart from him. And overcoming worry and trusting God are treasures in heaven. Next, seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. Man, these are all treasures in heaven. In Matthew chapter seven, refusing to judge others unfairly and not being hypocritical. Hey, what do people say about church? Well, people don't go to church because they think we're a bunch of hypocrites. That's what? And, and so that's what the world thinks. And, and so Jesus is like, hey, you want a treasure in heaven? Stop saying one thing and doing another, man. And then next we have practicing authentic discipleship is a treasure in heaven. Not everyone, Jesus says, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven, what that means is the one who does what God wants, that's the real thing. And so these are just treasures that, that have the long game and not the short game. That, man, we're just not living for this life, for what we're doing and accomplishing and what we can have in this life that I want to just provide for my family. I want to send my kids off. I want to see them get married. I want to have a good job. I want to have a, a vacation home. I mean, those are all not bad things. They're just all not things that are going to last for eternity. And so I love what was written by a pastor 1,600 years ago. Check this. I mean, that's a long time. So you say, is it relevant? Yeah, it's relevant in 2022. He said it like this. We are only temporary guests on earth. That's what we are. We recognize that the houses in which we live serve only as hostels on the road to eternal life. We do not seek peace or security from the material walls around us or the roof above our heads. Rather, we want to surround ourselves with the wall of divine grace and we look upward to heaven as a roof and the furniture of our lives should be good works performed in a spirit of love. That's what we're going for. Man, that's a, that's, I value the eternal over the temporal. I mean, it's a lifelong pursuit. Don't think that I got it together, man. It's really hard. How else do you know if people are, they're truly, man, they're seeking God. Well, the second characteristic is this, that people who live for God, they, they fill their hearts with godly passions and pursuits over worldly pleasures and influence. So that's a really important thing, that what is your heart filled with? That's what Jesus is saying. 
And in this verse, he says it like this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So what Jesus is suggesting to us is that, hey, I can tell a lot about you by just taking a look at your heart. And that's going to reveal everything. Still having fun in church? Two more people joined on for that. Let me show you this. How do you know the condition of somebody's hearts? Let me give you two indicators. A little fun. It's what you spend your money on. That's an indicator of where your heart is. And it's how you spend your time. I mean, those are two primary indicators, so you can't refute it. It's like if, like, if you opened up your checkbook, who would have a checkbook now? Anyone? Thank you for being honest in church. And so, yeah, but, but it's like either you're, I can see some people, wait, we got checkbooks, just don't put us down. It, whether it's the banking app or the old school checkbook, I mean, you take your monthly statement. I still, literally, I was a counting major in college, and I still reconcile every transaction from my bank statement to my electronic checkbook because I want to see where my money's going. And if you looked at mine, you'd be able to tell what I value. And so if I looked at yours, I could tell what you value too because what we spend our money on is what's most important to us. And so the great reformer, Martin Luther, he said it best. He said that people need two conversions. They need a conversion of the heart to Jesus for eternal life that I would embrace what he did on the cross. And then he said they need a conversion of the pocketbook. That what? That that they would invest in the eternal and what God wants and what God's doing and not just in themselves. And, And so our wallets and our calendars, I mean, that shows where your heart is. I'm not saying, Jesus is saying it. And so if you opened up your calendar now, whether it's old school hanging on the wall and you just fill it out with the colors, my wife still does that. If you walk into our house and our little, when you come in, it's like you got the calendar. You know, we're, we're gonna be on vacation. What's happening over here? What's, when's Emily coming home? When's this happening? And it's all right there. And it just shows what we value and what's important to us. And so if you opened up your Google calendar and how you spent your time over the last 30 days, it it reflects what's important. And so I would just say in a message like this, we're evaluating our hearts to saying, are we bringing Jesus, are we bringing God into the calendar? Are you bringing him into the workplace? Are you bringing him into your school? Hey man, are you bringing him into the health club? And are are you bringing him, are, are you a reflection of who God is? And And that's what it looks like to truly live for him. And so what Jesus was doing, this is the hard part of this message, that the context of this teaching, Jesus is confronting the religious leaders. So he's confronting the people who are in charge. They were the Pharisees. They were the ones that were, their hearts were not great because they were full of greed and materialism. And so I don't know about you, but... That's not too far from where we're at today, is it not? I mean, greed and materialism, some of us, we've got our target and our aim on that. And so this message is just, man, loosen the grip a bit. Man, we've all been there. I've been through seasons and phases where I'm, I'm knuckling the wheel. Like, just let go a minute and understand it's not just this life that you're living for. It's the life to come. And so how do we purify our hearts? How can we do this? How can we fill our hearts with what God wants? Because if the heart is the true indicator, 
How do we fill our hearts? I'm so glad you asked that question. Because the Bible mentions heart over 800 times. And so a lot of times what it's talking about, it's not talking about our physical heart. It's talking about our spiritual heart that houses who you are and what you're about and your being. And so how do we fill our hearts? Well, we got to examine our hearts regularly. And so that's what Jeremiah said. He says, the prophet, and again, you're saying, man, there's a lot here from the Bible. Well, we believe that the Bible's God's word. And so I want to learn from God's word. I just don't want to learn from myself. I got to have an outside source to help me understand what truth is. Am I, am I speaking truth today? Like, like we can't just depend on ourselves or our friends. It's like, what does God say? Well, God's word says that our hearts are deceitful and they, our hearts are deceitful is what it says in Jeremiah and they're desperately sick. And, and so the worst advice you could ever give somebody is to say to somebody, follow your heart. Well, why? Because it's an awful advice because your heart's deceitful. It's not telling you the truth. Your feelings are not always engaged in reality unless this is the only person that you can say follow your heart to, unless you are a Disney princess. If you're a Disney princess, I'm looking out to see if we have any, I see one, then you can follow your heart. The rest of us, I'm telling you, it's bad advice. And so how to fill our hearts? Well, we're not only examining them, we're to open our hearts. And so you just, even you being here today, you watching online, you're opening your heart because the scripture says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And there's just something for all of us, man. We come to that point in our lives and we're just like, I, there, there's gotta be more. Like, like it hasn't worked for me. Like, like things are not as great as they appear. And, and the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And he wants to meet those needs. And so we've got to open our hearts to him. And what else? That we're to renew our hearts. This is an interesting verse from Ezekiel because what it's talking about is the fact that our hearts beat for ourselves. Our hearts, he says, he goes, I got to remove that heart of stone, which is heart is concrete. And I got to make it, God wants to make it a heart of flesh that beats for him. So we all have hearts at times and in specific areas of our lives that they're not penetratable by God. And God's like, I gotta, I gotta have you renew your heart. And he also says God's word, we're doing a little Bible study on the heart. We gotta transform our heart. How do we transform the heart? Through, through this book. Like this is the most important book to me. Again, I didn't start reading it until I was 27. I don't worship the book. I worship the God in the book. Man, I thought that would get a little bit more reviled up here. Let me say that one more time. I don't worship the book. I worship the God of the book. That God reveals himself through his word. And then to the best of my ability, I'm just trying to do what he said. And if we're honest, we fail. But God's grace is there. And so that's why we got it. he wants to transform our heart because we store up his word in our heart that we might set sin against him. And next, that, that we got to cleanse our hearts. That Psalm 51 says, it's like a prayer, that that would even be your prayer today as you take a self-inspection of your heart. That, that God created me a new heart. You know what my hope is for you at the end of this message? That you would just, as the worship team closes, 
that we sing that final song, that you just be calling out to him, Lord, create in me a clean heart. God, I just want a clean heart. That's what I want. And, and restore to me a right spirit, the joy of salvation. And next one is, we gotta test our hearts. So we gotta say, God, would you try my heart? Like, God, would you see if there's evil, any evil way in me? And so when you get up in the morning and you get your coffee and you get things going and you, you drive off to work, at, like, was there a point in time where, God, just try my heart today. Just, God, test me and try my heart. Make sure there's no evil way in me. God, help me to live for you today. And then lastly, we've got to guard our hearts. It's probably the best verse that I could pick from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. So everything you are, everything you do, it flows out of your heart. Hey, our hearts need a power washing, man. That's why we come to church every week. This is an opportunity for you to have a power washing of your heart that you could get right before God. And so these are the ways to fill your heart with godly passion and pursuit. Third characteristic. Good stuff so far? With that kind of answer, I feel like I'm just going to leave. Good stuff so far? Okay, so I'm going to stay. But let me, let me give you two more things, because the third characteristic is a really important one. People who live for God seek goodness and godliness over selfishness and sin. So you can't just have your eyes on what you think is best for you. It's got to be about what's best for others. And so I want goodness. I want godliness. That simply means that I want to live my life like Jesus did, that I want to resemble what he did and who he was. And, and so that's what I'm living for. And so Jesus gives us this interesting analogy. And so hang with it for a moment because he says, your eye, it's like a lamp. Now think about that. What does the lamp do? Well, if you turn your lamp on, it just lights up the room. Now the lamp doesn't make the room clean or messy. It just reveals, doesn't it? whether or not the room is clean or messy, whether you got dust on the counter. Hey, you got up this morning, you raced over here to church, so thankful for that, and you didn't make the bed, and you're gonna come home, and you're gonna do all your stuff, and you're gonna have some fun today, and then you're gonna go upstairs, you're gonna turn on the light, and you say, oh, I didn't make the bed. Lamp, why didn't you make the bed? Because the lamp doesn't do anything. The lamp reveals what you did or what you didn't do. And so that's what he's saying, the eye is like a lamp that, that of the body, and so... It also does this, he says, if it's healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So that's another different picture. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be filled with darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So interestingly, Shakespeare was the one to say, the eye is a window into your soul. Think about that for a moment. So it's just revealing who you are. Your expression, your face, it, it, it reveals the eye is not only a window to your soul and to your be being, to your true self, but the eye, I would suggest to you, is also, it's not only a window, it's like a door, that it lets things in, whether they're good, bad, or ugly, whether they're truth or false, whether it's light or darkness, 80% of your learning comes through your eye. 80%. So that means what I see, it, it has a major influence 
on, on, on what I'm learning and, and what I'm, I, I don't even know it. I don't even have to be reading. I'm just kind of doing two things. Like what I'm taking in, it, it influences. Now the scripture also says that the enemy, which the enemy is, disguises himself as an angel of light. So at times what I think is true is not because I'm unhealthy. When I was a little kid, I, was, um, I grew up in Euclid, Ohio. And um, I'll never forget, I was with my dad and we we're in the garage and my dad was, there was a two by four and he was taking nails out of it. And so these were like some big, some of them were like spike nails. And so I'm just a little kid and, and he tells me, Ronnie, go uh, sit on the side and, and, and hold the wood down. And so I'm over here and then he's, he's on the other end and he's got this crowbar. And so he's pulling this nail out just like this. Now, preface this story, this is way before safety goggles. <laughs> I don't think they were invented yet. And, and so they at least weren't being used in the Zappia home. And, and, and so, so he pulls this nail out and then he goes like this and he looks and it, literally it's flipping over his head. And then what do I do? I'm, I'm a little kid, so I see my dad look, so I look and I'm holding it like this and I look up and yeah, you guessed it. I mean, it, it went right in. And so let me show you a picture of this that my dad took. That's a joke, <laughs> an unhealthy joke. But literally, I, in fifth grade, I, it was like fifth or sixth grade, some of you wanted to see the picture. That's the sickness that we have here. Your eyes are unhealthy, please. Not mine. Okay, so, so this is the funny part, though. So, well, it's not funny, but I wore a badge for eight weeks. And so my whole sixth grade class thought I was a pirate. <laughs> and even today, like if I go to the eye doctor, the eye doctor will say, oh, what happened to your eye? And like, I forgot about this. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, oh, there's a scratch in your cornea. And so I'm fortunate, man. I mean, I, I went without sight for a few weeks. I can see fully now, but, but I would suggest to you that there are times for me and for you when our eyes, they're getting scratched and, and they're letting some things in and, and, and we're, being, we're, we're letting some things in that are causing damage because it's not allowing us to focus and see clearly on what? On, on God's perspective, on God's desires, that it's causing us to value things that are temporal versus what's eternal. It's causing us to fill our hearts with, with passions for ourselves rather than passions for God. And so lastly, People who live for God, this is an important one. I mean, this is like, this is like throw down the mic. Jesus is like, you can't submit, man, you can't please two masters. And, and so we gotta live for God. We're gonna submit to a heavenly authority over an earthly rule. So what do I mean by that? I, I mean, there's something more important than this rule. Hey, I'm not downplaying the flag. I, but you're a citizen of heaven. Like if you're a child of God, if you've embraced the truth of who Jesus Christ is, that's the gospel. It's simply this, that God gave his son for you. And that if we believe in what he did on the cross, then we're forgiven from our sin. 
and that God comes and resides in us and he wants to live a life that better than we could live for ourselves. Isn't that good news? That's the gospel. And he gives us second chances. He gives us third chances. So no matter where you're at today, no matter what you feel like you failed, man, you're not a failure. You've just failed at some things. And so your past is never a failure. It's never an obstacle to God. Because God, he sent his son to die for us and that we are part of a heavenly rule, not just an earthly reality. And so our perspective has to change. And so that's why Jesus said, hey, you can't serve two masters, man. Hey, you're just gonna let one down and you try to do it, you let another down. And then he says, you can't serve God money. So I can't ignore that this is about, remember what we were talking about is the true indicator of the heart is what you spend your money on. He's like, hey, well, what's important to you? And is it just about you or is it about advancing my cause and my kingdom? Anybody ever worked for two bosses? Oh, it's a nightmare. Because one tells you one thing, then the other tells you another thing. I mean, it's just, it's not easy. I remember when I graduated from college, my first job, downtown Cleveland, and I had two bosses. One was named Horace. He drove a Taurus. You can't make this up. Horace in the Taurus coming in. And then the other one was named Jerry. Jerry drove a... Just thinking of something that rhymes with it. No, I'm kidding. But, but these were my two bosses. And so I get out of college. I got a degree. I'm, you know, I get into this office. And, and it was this big office where there was like 30 of us. And, and my desk, first day, I'm like, well, where do, where do I sit? I guess I don't get an office. Okay, well, where's my cube? I guess I don't have a cube. Where's my desk? Literally, they walked me over to this little desk that was wedged up against this big, huge desk. Guess whose desk was the big, huge one? Horace. He got out of his Taurus to come here. And I literally, I'm sitting here and he, I mean, this, like, I'm like, this is, like, are you kidding me? Like, this can't, is this reality? Like, this is not working, okay? And, and so, you know, he would throw stuff on my desk. And, and then the only relief I got was after lunch because Horace was 70 years old. Not to rip on any old people today, but let's have some fun and do it. And so he would fall asleep. I'm not kidding. One o'clock. Horace would be off, man. He'd be just like done. But then that's when Jerry would come over in his little desk and he would kind of take me out and, well, you need to do this and you need to do this. And Jerry became my boss. I mean, it said all that to say this. Working for two people, it's complicated. Just like we can't serve two masters. And so some of us, uh, man, we're just trying to serve someone else in another kingdom. And, and today I'm just asking you, like, let's just, just ask yourself, which rule am I under? And so let me close with this. How, how do you know, I don't know, how do you know if something's real or something's fake? Well, let's just take, I don't know, how about a Waterford crystal? Like, let's take a glass. You go over to the party and there's a glass and you're wondering, is this legit or what? And so how do you tell if it's Waterford crystal? Well, yeah, you, you either can ping it and it's going to sound, or you go, you go like this around the edge and it has this nice little ring. How, how do you tell if that diamond that your boyfriend gave you is the real thing or if it's cubic zirconium? Well, you heard it from me that 
you gotta take that diamond and you gotta drop it in a glass of water. And if it sinks to the bottom, it's legit. But if it floats, we have a problem. You say, how do you know that? Well, that's the first thing Jody did when I gave her the ring. She wedged it out of the thing and, and she drops it in the water and, and then it, it, it didn't go up, it stayed down. She said, I do. I'm kidding. How do you know? How, how do you know if, I don't know. I mean, how do you know if the watch, that watch that, that your friend or that brother-in-law yours, he's waving it in your face and it's like, how do you know if it's a Rolex or not? Well, the, the reason you know is because this, Second hand doesn't do what this watch is doing. It ticks. The Rolex, it's smooth. Oh, it's nice. And it just goes around like this, and so it's the real thing. So how do you know if somebody who says they're a Christian and they're living for God is really living for God? I mean, that's what we're talking about. Well, it, it's right here. This, this is how you know. And so Jesus wants you to know, man, he doesn't want you to have any misunderstanding. Like these are the things to go for. And so as we close, I'm gonna invite the worship team up. We've got one more song and let's not throw it away. Let's not waste it. I would just ask that we've laughed together a little bit. We've had some fun. I, I trust that you've learned some truth maybe that you didn't know that, that you saw that the Bible actually, you know, this thing is relevant to my life, isn't it? It's got truth in here that can be applied to my life today. And so before you stand and sing with us, as the worship team comes forward, it's good. Come on, guys. We're all good. Come on. Come on up. It's good. Let's give them a round of applause. Aren't they doing a good job? <laughs> Feeling like trying that hat on, Ethan, next week. I'm going to try that for worship, but no, that's not good. <laughs> but let's pull it in. And b Before we stand up and worship and sing, as Ethan sings over us, let, like, just ask yourself these questions. Let's make it personal. And so I'm going to leave these on the screen. And so you've got to ask yourself, am I, not is he, not is she, not are my kids. Hey, man, am I pursuing eternal investments over temporal gain? And they just, God, what would that look like? I just want more of that. I know it's not going to happen overnight, and I know I have responsibilities and things that I need to do, but, but Lord, how can I make this more of a reality in my life today? And then, Lord, am I filling my heart with godly passion? I mean, how can I take the passions that you've given me and, and how can I make sure that it's not from a worldly perspective or influence that, that, Lord, my passion is to please you no matter what I'm doing, no matter if it's in the workplace or no matter if it's how I raise my kids or no matter if it's what, it's whatever I'm doing that I want to please you. And, and then ask yourself, am I seeking goodness and godliness? over sin and selfishness because I, I think that our hearts can fool us. And then lastly, as you stand today, let's make that the sign that you're submitting yourself to a different ruler, to a heavenly ruler, to a reality that, man, I believe that there's a kingdom of heaven and I believe that there's more to this life. And so, Father, I ask that as we close this time, and as worship is sung over us, that we would reflect on these questions and that we would have a greater degree of understanding as we sense your presence, that you're pushing us in the right way. Lord, help us and lead us. Help us to rely on you. Help us to please you, I pray. In Jesus' name.